Well, you see, if you always look positive you know, to things, then you are not punishing yourself. Because when you are negative, you are punishing yourself. It takes part of your body, part of your happiness, part of your uh, energy. But when you are negative, when you are positive, you analyze things and see what I can do to do it better. My guest today is Hamzi Mogravi, and he is unique in several ways. Today we are celebrating his 90th birthday, and he has spent 90 years of his life so far making the world a better place. He's still doing that actively today. A precocious child with plans of becoming a medical doctor, a war stripped that dream from him as well as his homeland of Palestine when he was just 14 years old. His family transitioned overnight from being wealthy landowners to living in abject poverty. And yet somehow he managed to find a way to get a degree in engineering. And he put that degree to use building infrastructure across the entire Middle East, building sewer lines and hotels and highways from one end of it to the other. Later on, he would use that engineering degree to create energy from solid waste, from municipal waste, by building zero waste plants that are still actively working in Lebanon and in other cities today. But he did much more than just engineering. He was also, he is also a social rights activist and social justice warrior. And he has worked at this since he was 14 years old and continues to do that when he's 90 years old. He's also been a passionate peacemaker, opening his heart and his home to anyone willing to discuss peace in a rational, pragmatic, respectable um, manner with dignity for all Israelis and Palestinians who are trying to find a way to both live in the world peacefully together. Today, he spends his time raising and distributing funds for Palestinian refugees living in camps still to this day in Lebanon. He has um, raised money for about 900 refugees so far to give them college educations. And they pay it off and they pay for the next student. So it's a beautiful thing that he continues to do. And I hope that you will enjoy this conversation. We talk about a few different things in addition to his life and how he spent it. Um, we talk about the, sh the shifting geopolitical realities in the Middle East today, which are undergoing a massive shift as we speak. Um, and the need to be active and help people wherever you live at whatever time you live. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation between myself and Hamzi Magrav. Hello, Hamzi Mograbi. <laughs> Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. <laughs> uh, at, welcome to How We Changed the World podcast. Oh, thank you. You know, uh, this is such a great opportunity for us to visit because I don't think we have seen each other's face and talked for about, I don't know, I don't want to know, 10 about years. About 10 years. Has it been 10 years since you were in the United yeah. States? No, I mean, uh, well, that's it, crazy. I think it's more than 10 years. It's about 18 years. Uh, if it is, I don't know. No, it's not. That, since you moved away. But anyway, <laughs> well, we digress. It's been too long. 
And the auspicious occasion for this, uh, you know, conversation for us getting together and talking again is, I feel like I need a drum roll. It's your 90th birthday coming up in two days, yes. right? On the 28th? Is that? Next yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> so, we, which is, we're going to air this, I think, the day after your birthday. So you will have been 90 um, for one day when this airs. So happy, happy, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank it. you very much. Yeah. As I just told you, you look amazing, sound amazing. I can't believe that you're 90. You don't look different than you did when I knew you at 60, so I don't get it. But whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Well, thank you. I'm 90. I'm not, I mean, I, I, I don't hide it, you know. But <laughs> how, how, I'm always active, you know. Yeah. This is this your secret? Do you think to staying? Because your your brain is wonderful. Your health is still wonderful. Uh, you're very active. What is your? What do you attribute that to? Well, you see, if you always look positive, you know, to things, then you are not punishing yourself. Because when you are negative, you are punishing yourself. It takes part of your body, part of your happiness, part of your uh, uh, energy, but when you are negative, when you are positive, you analyze things and see what I can do to do it better and to overcome it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what that takes things as a challenge. I think that's a secret. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you've had a lot in your life to be that you could be negative about, which we'll talk about a little bit. So you have learned very early on to make positive out of negative situations. And we can all learn a lot from you well, on that regard. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> well, so today we're going to talk. Okay, so you're coming to us from Lebanon right now. You're in the mountains of Lebanon. I am coming to you from Belize. Uh, so we are very long ways to the country of Belize in Central America. So we're very long ways away from each other. But um, we are going to talk about a few things today. Uh, first of all, a little bit about your personal history as a refugee and how that affected your life. We have talked about it a lot in the past. Um, we're going to talk about um, current events in the Middle East. There are some very pivotal developments in the geopolitical sphere, especially in the Middle East. Um, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. We are going to talk about the, some of the work that you've done throughout much of your life on the environment way before anyone else. You were definitely an early, early actor in that regard, working to preserve the environment. And um, just sort of your lifetime of having made the world better. That's what this podcast is about, how we change the world, how we make the world better. And... You've spent your entire nine decades, eight decades, uh, doing that. So thank you for doing that. Well, you see, because, you know, in the first place, you have to look at people, you know. You have to, you have to live with people. You have to know there are odds there. And... The what? I mean, you can you see... You, you can you You have to face the different odds, you know, which are... The, the differences, you know. Yeah. And always you have to think back positive in in a way that how, how can I help? 
how can I do it better? You know, since I was a child, I was hoping to be a doctor to help physicians because my father was sick and I used to give him injections and so on. Yeah. When I was still 10 to 15 years old, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and then, uh, I, and, and then I went to school to an American school inside Lebanon before we became, we became refugees. And mm-hmm. when, became, when we became refugees, my family stayed inside them. And uh, I was able to work and help my other brothers and sisters while I was in school. And when I graduated, I went to Bahrain for two years to be a teacher in a elementary school. So that gave me, gave me, I first see the suffering of the refugees, being a refugee, being at, at a time that when, when you don't have money to pay for your school or to pay for uh, even an ice cream if you want to, or go to a movie. But in Bahrain, I worked, learned accounting and so on while I was teaching. So after two years in 1953, I went to Kuwait as an accountant and stayed for until 19, uh, until, uh, uh, until 1958, from 1953 to 58, I worked as an accountant. In 1958, I went to, to Colorado to CSU and studied engineering for four years, 1962, mm-hmm. went back to Kuwait. And this time, as an engineer that worked on uh, different projects, from sewer lines to roads to hotels. I mean, uh, I was involved in constructing four hotels in different countries. Well, just to um, let me provide a little bit of context for our conversation, um, how we know each other and and where you were, how you became a refugee. Just want, we're not going to spend too much time on the story because um, you and I met in 1991 and we uh, were both volunteering for an organization called Society for International Development in Denver, Colorado. And at that time, um, you were the first, perhaps the first, maybe the second Arab I had met, the first Muslim, perhaps, and the first Palestinian I had ever met. And if you'll recall, I was uh, afraid of you <laughs> a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. And, um, but over, over time, um, because we were working sort of, rel- we'd see each other once in a while because I would have, um, some work to do with you regarding SID. And slowly you told me your story of, of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but from your life story, really, your, your family's perspective. Um, and you told me so many stories, which I was resistant of. And then eventually, though, I just said, you should write a book about your story because it's quite amazing what your family had and went through and, and how you became a refugee. And then of course, how you've lived the rest of your life. So that has now been 
we wrote the book, it came out, it's been out for many years, um, still available in three languages. And I'll put, I'll put it in the show notes um, in case anybody wants to read your whole life story. I think it's still fascinating, even though I wrote it, it's your story. Um, and it's, it's now we, we, we published it twice. It was originally called Mograbi's Olives. We had to self-publish the first time, couldn't get a publisher. And then eventually we got one. And then uh, we had a publisher and they named it um, The Olive Grove, A Palestinian Story. So um, so that's where we, and someone can hear your full story of everything your family went through. But I just wanted to establish that where you grew up and where you were born and, and what happened. And, um, and you became a refugee at the age of 14, basically, right? From, from Palestine, you went up to Lebanon. Yeah. See, I remember quite well when we first met. Um, mm. You were the secretary that takes the minutes. And I, I, when I spoke uh, in, in the organization about the Palestinian question, and you looked mm -hmm. at me in a very uh, questionable way. And uh, <laughs> you were... I didn't you, believe you. You were very... Yeah polite in asking questions whether I was saying the truth or not, you know, mm -hmm. and you doubted it, and uh, yes. then uh, then I told you why why this this new why this information are not in a book, and I told you well oh, no you told me uh, why don't you write a book. I told you, why don't you write the book at that time? <laughs> and yeah. then we started to t to talk, and so we ended up with Mugrabi's Olives. And, yeah. mm -hmm. But the main thing, yeah. you know, in, in, in that thing was that when I came in, in, to, to America as a student in 1958, I was surprised to see many people don't know what Palestine means, what is a Palestinian. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. in Fort Collins, we happened that there were... In Colorado. Uh, that there were uh, uh, Hungarian students, you know, that mm -hmm. they were refugees also. We had something in common. Oh. And we lived in a farm that we used to raise eggs and uh, buy a cow every every three or four months. Really? And have, huh. it, have it butchered in the school because they were teaching how to do it. And we put it in freezer and all the year we eat meat, you know. Mm. And that really taught me more how to, to, be, to be more independent and to, be, to solve one's problem. And I recall that when I was in school, I used to go every Sunday to, to a church to speak, you know, and I became popular. Was this in, was this in Colorado when in, you were in, in college? In Fort Collins. Are you talking in about? Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. In yeah. college. In Fort yeah. Collins, and uh, we counted how many churches there is there. There were 52 churches. Mm -hmm. You know, and there was a friend of mine from Jordan that used to accompany me. 
and that, who, who was a Christian. And sometimes when they talk about, well, this is Muslims or Christians and so on, he comes up and says, mm -hmm. I'm a Christian, I'm Christian Arab, because very few in Fort Collins at that time knew that there are Arab Christians, you know, or even in Palestine and Palestinian. And I demanded that in Jerusalem you have you have the the holy the holy land. But anyway. And and the birth of Christianity, right? Yeah. Is, is, many people still you said this was you're talking about in the nineteen fifties, but I can tell you that there are many people in the world, at least in the United States and probably around the world, who still do not know that the birth of Christianity is exactly in Palestine in Palestine. So yeah. it's but, you know, not everybody understands or remembers that, so. Yeah, and I, th I, I think Americans who don't know much about the history, when they understand it, they become very, very interested. And... Uh, they certainly do. And even when, when I came back uh, in, in 1985 to Colorado, as an immigrant at that time where I got the... Uh, the, the U.S. citizenship, you know. Uh, I formed in Fort Collins, in, in Denver, uh, a dialogue, uh, a dialogue between, uh, between Arabs and Americans. And, mm -hmm. and Jews. And, and Jews, American Jews. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we had a Christian one, one from a church and a rabbi and to, and, and myself, that we represented the three Christians, three religions three that mm -hmm. we we formed, and that was a that was a, a good thing because I remember uh, the first time that uh, when one of the Christians that we were talking about, he talked to a rabbi, and the rabbi told him. Uh, how can I sit with them? How can I talk to them? So, and, uh, talk with who? Arabs? With Arabs. No, and then he became my best friend, Rabbi Foster, you know. And, and that was a breakthrough in, in, in Colorado that many ultra Jews the, were against, you know. But uh, I, I was impressed with the way the the Jewish community in Colorado, in Denver, uh, treated me and uh, listened mm -hmm. to what I was saying. Mm -hmm. So that that was a that was a breakthrough moment, and um, I, I think that was in the eighties or, or the nineties. Yeah, that it was in the yeah. later eighties. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it started in eighty six, eighty seven, which was. Two years after I came to Denver, and it continued. For some context, I want to back up and just sort of put a frame around this so people can understand. Um, because you came to the United States, you, you, you got your education here at CSU um, in engineering, and then uh, went back and worked in the Middle East, as you said. And then you returned in 1985 when there was civil war going on in, in Lebanon. And you brought your wife and um, you brought your wife, Huda, and your two daughters. Yeah, yeah Ruba and Lena. Yes. And um, that's when I met you. You were all four in Denver. 
And when I met you, and the reason this is this is a relevant conversation is because, as I said, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is to show that you can live a life of many with many different flavors to it. You know, so you've been an engineer, you've, you've been um, a social um, justice warrior, you know, you've been an environmentalist, and this period of time that you're talking about is you were very much a social justice warrior. I don't like to use warrior with the word social justice. Those seem like they're, they're, they go against one another, but you, you really cared about social justice. And, and that's, that's why I wanted to hear your story actually, when I met you, because I could see that you were a person of great truth and great um, character and that you really only had, even though you had lost your homeland of Palestine, you were still very much interested in talking about how do we go forward? You know, not how do we kill each other, but how do we sit down and talk? And the fact that you were invited to a synagogue in Denver, and it's not like the most liberal left-sided synagogue either. It's just sort of a reformist maybe, but sort of a center of the road. And that they brought you in and put the Palestinian flag up. I'm, I'm sorry to say that would not happen today unless you come back and and do it again because um, th those conversations aren't really taking place so much anymore. We're, we're more at a loggerheads again between Israelis and Palestinians. Um, but we don't want to get too far off on that subject because it is just one part, but I just, I, I just really appreciate how much of that work you were doing for a very long time. Well, you in the U S well, I, I, I feel this is, this is something, I mean, inherent in myself. So I, I mean, um, I couldn't. It. I couldn't yeah. just watch and read and you know, even until today. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I became the the national chairman of ADC, which is the Arab American Anti Discrimination Committee. And uh, Washington DC. I I went to the FBI director. You know, everybody was afraid from the FBI. And I told him. Uh, Arabs in America. Were. I told him, uh, uh, do do uh, Palestinians and Arabs need somebody to protect them, or the United States protect them? He said, No. Everybody is the same. We don't, you know. I told him, but I have a convention coming. I mean, I want to invite you to the convention. Would you come? And he did. And so he came to the Arab American Discrimination yeah, Committee, the ABC, and he did, and that was a breakthrough that many Palestinians used to be afraid from the FBI's. The FBI. That it mm -hmm. gives them some confidence, you know. But uh, so he came and participated in the conference. The FBI yes, director, or spoke. He came and he spoke. Oh my goodness! You know, it's, uh, yeah, and uh, and that's something that was really good. And even uh, even President Clinton uh, at that time, he, he was uh, he, he he was uh, very ignorant, I would say, about the Palestinian issue. And mm -hmm. in his second term, he changed his policy. And he he was very positive, although uh, there, there are so many things that happened at that time. You know, in that area, yeah. you know, yeah. but, uh, well, as a bit of a coincidence. So when we wrote the book, you, I went to, um, 
your former home with you in what is now Israel. And while we were there, this was, uh, what was this, 1994, maybe, because um, Clintons were there when we were there. So it was the first visit, I think, of an American president to Israel anyway. And they were there to, to uh, he was there to usher in the peace agreement between Israel and Jordan at the time. I think you and I went to see his wife, you know, and we couldn't. Yeah, we yeah. did. Well, yeah. I remember that was she, she visit. Was, was, that was visit to Israel. It wasn't easy for me to when the plane landed to just come down the stairs, and you were with me, and and I think you gave me some some push or some. Something that okay, oh, it's my home. It was, but well, I don't. Yeah. Know, so. And that. I think though that you had been back before with Ruba one time. I went. When I went that twice. was really hard for you I to went go. Twice after that. Mm-hmm. But the first yeah. time was the most difficult time, because I mm-hmm. think uh, we were in Beirut, and we went to Cyprus oh. and from Cyprus to to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But that was something. I mean. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it encouraged me, and any time I can visit there, you know, and I have some yeah. friends here. Yeah, so. you saw, you had many friends still there. So when you left, it was Palestine. When you came back, it was Israel, and it was about a 40-year yeah. gap between and visits. I remember when, or more. when we went together to see my home, the, the, my father's home, our, our family home, and it Where was the synagogue, and we couldn't mm-hmm. enter. But we went to the to, ups, right. to the, uh, the Moroccan Jew that was living in the in the upper apartment. We mm-hmm. visited her, and you know, and mm-hmm. I still have some pictures yeah, of that, the other but... day. I was looking at the pictures. Oh, really? It was. Uh, yeah, those are emotional moments for refugee to go back to their home, and uh, it's, and it's a different country, so. Yeah. Um, it's not easy. People don't understand maybe sometimes how not easy that is for Palestinians. And most Palestinians, frankly, can't go back. But you could go because you were an American citizen. That's why you were allowed that, to visit. That's the sad thing, you know, that I can yeah. go to my home because I'm an American, not because I'm a Palestinian. Yeah. Well, the life is, the world is very confusing sometimes, I will tell you. And so you wanted, I, oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to switch gears a little bit, but if you wanted to say something else, please feel free to. You want to move on? No, I mean, uh, no, I'm, I'm really disappointed with what's happening in the world today, you know, because yeah. the world abandoned the Palestinians until now, and mm-hmm. the daily the daily massacres of Palestinians in in. It's very bad right in now. the West Bank, every day, like like yesterday, they, they were about there were about four or five people killed, and six, seven yeah. taken to prison. And they take children, they take you know, and mm-hmm. I feel the world the, the world abandoned the Palestinians, mm-hmm. and this is why we try to well, we try to help let. Let the world understand the the problem of the Palestinians. They are not 
refugees, they are not beggars, they are people with dignity and with, 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 with good understanding. I'm wondering if you can talk about this new development that happened in the last week or so between uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia, possibly, or they have agreed to re restore diplomatic ties and to open embassies in one another's countries and so forth. And so if, if you could talk about what you think that's going to mean for the Middle East, it was brokered by China and everything about it is new and everybody's trying to figure it out still, I think. But what is your take on it? And especially as we get to the end, what, you're, what you think the impact will be on the Palestinian situation? You see, it is... It is difficult to, to really to reach a, to reach a conclusion about the Palestinians because the problem is so big. Mm -hmm. The attention of the people today or the world today is among the powers: United States, China, Russia, and Europe, and Korea, and mm. all. So the attention. It's not being paid for humanitarian reasons on the Palestinians' problem. But let us say China now has no foot in the Middle East. This is the first time that China has brokered a, a, some, some kind of peace negotiation between Iran, Iran which is a Shiite Muslim, center, or leader, Country. and Saudi Arabia, who is a Sunni Muslim leader, they were enemies, they were really, uh, uh, they were against each other. Now they make peace between them, which is happening now, will resolve a lot of problems in other areas, like the war in Yemen, which is now the center of it of attention, you know, mm -hmm. and the other parts, in C like the problems of Syria and Iraq, because the, after the American withdrawal from Iraq, Iraq mm -hmm. was left in very confused, in in, in a lot of uncertainty, you know, mm -hmm. Tomorrow. No, between between all the parties there. So as for the Palestinians, this will, will help the Shiite uh, group, which is the uh, Hezbollah, mm -hmm. and the Palestinians in Gaza, and the Palestinians, uh, uh, the Palestinians uh, uh, struggling for independence in, in the West Bank, in Israel with the coming of Netanyahu, with the extreme vision, it, not, it will not contain only the West Bank and Palestine, but will extend to Jordan and part and the southern parts of Lebanon. So the, the conflict is, while the world is busy now, between China and the United States, and between Russia and Europe, and the world is, is moving, and we see some change now in Biden attitude that is not going to give Israel the arms 
that they asked for, for if if Netanyahu wants to to come to the United States, you know, mm-hmm. and see Biden, Biden will not meet him, which is I, d- I, mean, I didn't know that. So <clears throat> that's well, a big change. Well, or or not uh, did not accept, did not allow, or make uh, uh, or, or or make a date for, for a meeting with him, and they okay. refused to, to let him come. So Maybe he just said are, he was busy. So, so you think that the United States the, is now, is, is cooling, you think, a little bit to Netanyahu, or because of his right-wing uh, coalition? Is that yes, what you think is going yes, on? Okay. Because, you know, the United States now is in the Democratic, uh, uh, with the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Which is less, uh, the, which is less supportive of less tolerant of Israeli mm-hmm. uh, terrorism or, or what I call terrorism, you know. But yeah. Hamzi, could you could you speak a little bit more though about this coal, this um, these this geopolitical change that's about to happen because it's it's significant in terms of the whole restructuring of the Middle East, don't you think? With the uh, Shia and Sunni like no longer at odds. I mean, then that change. What what, what will happen in Syria, for example, if if there oh, is what will peace happen, between you them? See, now, uh, the positive side of it, mm-hmm. on the positive side of it, that if this continues, that means uh, peace will if be. This, if this detente continues, detente the, between. Detente, yeah. uh, diplomatic relations between, between Saudi and, and Saudi. Yeah. Okay, know. if that continues, because this means this means that Iraq will will improve, mm-hmm. Syria will settle its problems, and Lebanon will 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 settle itself because Lebanon now is a, no no con, no government co- uh, country. No. no president. There is no president. No government. No house. No, yeah. no parliament. I mean, no and it banks. will help. It will help. It will help Lebanon to help Lebanon to to go back as a country, as a as, as a government. So, and this also will help South North Africa, like Libya and uh, Algeria. You know. While Tunisia is one of the best. When so, you say help, are you saying because there, the conflict? The conflict and, will be resolved, you know. And China now is willing to build, uh, to restructure the Middle, Middle East, to build uh, trains, you know, uh, airports, mm. electricity. Uh, I mean, they want to invest billions. Mm-hmm. In, in in the area and in the Middle East, they have been, they have been in North and, Africa for a while too. Yes, but they haven't been in. Uh, they 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 have been as companies, but this will be aid, you know, to 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 restructure the economy of each country. That they want to restructure the economy of the Middle East by trying to join them with so many things. And these are programs that were done 
about 50 or 60 years ago, even even more than that, when I was a, a high school student, oh they were goodness. trying to plan. Things that need to be restructured. It. Not the mm-hmm. Chinese, but right. people, uh, I mean, people who were talking about the Middle East, unity and so on. But mm-hmm. the British and the French at that time were against such development. And the United States did not help when it came to power. And uh, so it's China now is it, 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 it presenting itself with no conditions, you know. Mm-hmm. So how this will work, we don't know yet. Were you surprised so, that Biden was supportive of the Chinese involvement in brokering peace? Because he said, who, uh, President who, Biden, no, he was supportive so, of it. He said, if somebody yeah, can yeah, arrange this is that. A, the, the other side of it is that America and the West are not going to allow in theory that oil and things will be in mm-hmm. the hands of the Chinese because the Chinese open market for mm-hmm. oil from mm-hmm. Iran and from Saudi Arabia. You know, they can they can cons- buy their all their all their oil products because they are a big country. The United, the United States or Biden they are worried that their influence in the Middle East will dimin- diminish which already diminished, you know. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's a valid worry. It's a valid worry, yeah. but but they did say that, Biden did say that he's in favor of it. If, if, if China can help shift the balance in, uh, from away from war and toward peace, it really does benefit everyone. So but at least those it, are words. Everything's, there's, there's always two levels going on, right? There's the... The comments yeah. that they say for public consumption, and then there's the policy and the. But because the, the United States and the, the world now is about China, and not the Chinese influence in the Middle East, but the Chinese influence not in Korea, in Japan, mm-hmm. Taiwan, and the Far East. Yeah. Taiwan. Yeah. And this is where the United States worried about than in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So, and with the collision between and and uh, uh, between China and Russia, mm-hmm. yeah. yes, that's a, well. That's a big concern right now, for sure. That Definitely, that's very, a concern. Very, very yes, important things to you mm-hmm. because then to, Europe to the world, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and right. It's not the Ukraine, but it is all of Europe. I don't know if it feels this way to you, but it feels to me that the world is about to enter a huge shift of major proportions. Like we're seeing that happen in a way that I don't feel like we've seen since maybe World War One, where we have the Sykes-Pico, where everything changed in a major way. And it just as we're just watching little piece by piece what's happening around the world, it just feels like major things are changing in, in terms of world, the, the shift in, pow- of, in power. Since the end of Second World War, there has never been peace uh, with no war. I mean, there were mm-hmm. intervals of peace, but always uh, revolutions, uh, coup d'etat, wars, mm-hmm. you know, 
the problem is that uh, there are nuclear arms because the war before the, the armies they needed artillery and uh, and soldiers now it's not no it's not the number of soldiers but it's the number of missiles number of dance you know uh, the war is more catastrophic right between between nations if a war break I mean you know okay now they are hitting mm -hmm. uh, civilian cities you know rather than yeah. trying to hit to hit armies and uh, army locations Mm -hmm. So what is going to happen if we war break out? I don't know how much of the world will will survive will, will become. Mm. Yeah. On that unhappy note, I want to shift you a little bit because war also impacts the environment, which we're struggling with um, on every level. To because what's happening just in Ukraine is destroying not only lives, but it's really decimating the environment in so many ways as war does, in addition to all the human toll, which is yeah. Yeah. critical. So my question though, is that you had mentioned that you think there is a common denominator for a sustainable environment. And I wonder what that is. You see, when we talk about war and destruction, you know, mm -hmm. a building was hit, you know, we can repair it, you know. But the damage is not only the war to the to the environment. You see, our treatment of our style of life is very damaging to the environment. Mm -hmm. Whether it is in trying in the cars, in the, the factories, in the planes, and one of the most, you know, which I consider is the municipal solid waste that are produced whether there is war or not mm -hmm. whether people are uh, poor or 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 rich that is something that will uh, will, uh, will, will will affect the environment of the mm -hmm. air the pollution which mm -hmm. is seen in some places and the potable water because when they put waste in the, under, uh, they do landfill for waste mm. in the ground, this will seep to the groundwater, which mm -hmm. is the reservoir of life, as I see it, mm -hmm. that when it becomes that polluted, it is not a matter of time that can be, cannot be repaired, it cannot be, you know, because polluted, polluted, you know, to, do fa to, to build factories. To treat, it's not easy, you know. It's not. Mm. It's, it's not something that you can do and overnight. And this, in 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 uh, this while while I was in the United States, when I was chairman of ADC, mm -hmm. and my mother was about to die, I went to Sida. And I saw Saida was, was had a uh, lot of uh, waste in the streets, 
no, no collection, nothing, because there was there was different uh, there, you know. Mm -hmm. And when I came went back to to Denver, I discussed it with the municipality of of Denver, and they told me that when we do, when we want to do a project, mm -hmm. we first go to college to to universities, ask them to do a study, and from that study, we look for countries for for companies who can repair it or who can who can apply it or can do mm -hmm. so i i decided or agreed with three uni with three universities so i i made a company i made the full design but the application is more european because it is different from the united states you know because your organic is taken out and mm -hmm. So you made and you I made came, a company you made a design in Saida in near Saida, which is south I of Beirut a, in made, Lebanon. I made a design for Saida in the United States. In, yeah, while you're living here. Yeah, and this is why I came and formed the company and mm -hmm. and we built it there. You know, so it's now working under under construction. So it is working. Yeah. It's under construction, or it's working now. Yeah, because we get we get fertilizer. We get electricity. Oh, this is happening now. It's happening now okay. because from the organic, from the organic uh, component, mm -hmm. we put it in a digester, in a, a anaerobic, anaerobic digester. So you, I think, if I recall, you reclaimed the lot of sand from the ocean to build the plant on because you didn't have a place to build it, and then is that right? And then you built a plant on the on the reclaimed soil? You know, on the seashore, you see, uh -huh. I took uh, uh, about uh, 900 meters into the sea and filled it, and filled it to have to reclaim land. That's where you built the plant? And built on the that. plant on that one because there was no place to play, to build it. So, so I reclaimed, like, you know, uh, part of the seashore. Oh my goodness! I had I didn't understand that before. So and then right. Hamzi, so you built this plant, and then you take this. Have you been able to uh, eliminate the need for a landfill inside? Yes. And you have so there's no but landfills now, or no, not as many no, for Saida. It's still it's a you were way ahead of your time. I mean that's that's the point here. Yeah. I think is that. And in fact, just to sort of bring us full circle, if I can, so we can, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of our conversation, but you... Well, now, now I am busy in trying to give, to give the education to the Palestinian children, students, you know, which is my yeah. thing, because I see that I'm, I, I'm saving lives, I'm saving people, right. I mean, you know. Yeah. And uh, well, I hope I hope I will continue to to do that. But we I mean, raise it, money. We this raise is what money you're doing because we, we we raise money to, mm -hmm. to 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 be able to finance it, you know. So just to summarize, you've gone from accounting to engineering, you built highways, hotels, buildings, infrastructure all over the Middle East. Then you went into and and then 
further environmental use when you were building the plants like i mean I'm, and use your engineering skills to help the environment as well so use your engineering skills throughout all your life you also um worked on social issues your entire life and you still are working on social issues you're working on it you're helping students to pay for their education um and you worked on peace all of your life and i'm just thinking there's just like so many different areas and so many ways that you have shown up wherever you go. It doesn't matter if you're in um, Aka or you're in Saida or you're in Denver or you're in, um, what town are you in now? You're in the mountains of Lebanon. <laughs> Wherever you are, you're working, uh, you're Washington DC. Like you bring the same skill set that you need for that, that, that comes from you and you take the situation that you're finding wherever you are, you know? So it, I just think you're remarkable uh, role model for everyone that you don't have to just say, well, I'm going to do this one thing, or I just have this one skill. It's like wherever you go and whatever skills you have, there's a way to apply them to make the world a better place. Well, because wherever I need it, wherever there are people, there is a need. And that need, I try to cover. Yeah, if I do. can. And and the benefit of it, if there's a silver lining to all this for you, it's that you're turning 90 this week. And this has kept you very interested in life. It's kept you very engaged in life, kept you young. And it's it just, it's it really, it's, a, it's beneficial all the way around. It keeps your family alive. You know, it keeps everyone moving forward. So you've just, you've, you've had a remarkable life. And I'm, I'm lucky to have been a part of it and gotten to walk through some of your life with you at different points. And Thank I feel you. so happy to be with you again now after um, all these years. And I know you, I know you are a very uh, industrious person. You are always <laughs> like to help. And really, you, so you are always in my mind. Thank you about well, we've been a good team. We've been a good team over the years. Yeah. Okay. And people people are still reading your story. So I just want to encourage people to go, if you want to hear more about Hamsi's family story, to go find that I, book. I wish we, we can reprint the book of his eyes, you know. <laughs> I'm ready. You have it. It's in your hands. But we go down another path now. We <laughs> well, talk about that course. offline. <laughs> All right, Habibi. Thank okay. you. Shukran. Thank Blessings you Blessings to your much. whole family. Much love to all of you, and we'll okay. talk. All right, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>